up, stop. Good to be in the house. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 11, we're going to conclude this series by looking at an entire passage of Scripture. There's so much in it, and uh, my prayer is that God will speak to you through it. But before we get into the message today, uh, I'm not sure if you've been following social media, but within the last week, there's been an outpouring of God's presence in a powerful way in a university in the middle of Kentucky called Asbury University. And uh, God's presence has been falling in power at this university. And what happened is that they had a normal chapel service last Wednesday. And at the ending of the service, there was about eight students that uh, never went home. They just stayed around. They were praying for each other, crying out for God, being desperate for God. And through their faith, there was just an outpouring of God's presence where now thousands of people have been showing up to encounter God's presence. There's been healings and miracles and um, just the, the hand of God has been moving in a powerful way. And the thing I love about just this story is that it's not just isolated to this university out in uh, the middle of Kentucky, but other universities have been experiencing similar things. And to date this morning, the last time I checked, there's about 17 other universities that's kind of experiencing something similar like this on their campuses. And the reason why I'm sharing this is that we're in a miracle series, but um, I don't know if you know this, but God's still moving in power. And there's a powerful move of God that's um, being seen right now in our nation. And what's going to change our nation is not better laws and better politicians. It's more of God's presence and more of God's power to really change the hearts of people because that's what we need. God has always been the answer and always been the, the solution to everything that we're in. So uh, this past week, just kind of viewing what's been happening there, we just said, hey, we got to do something here. And the heart of this church has always been about the next generation. So this past Thursday, we just did it and did an impromptu prayer down at the gym, YOCC. And about 130 high school, college, uh, and middle school students came out. We were praying for them. Uh, they were getting filled and touched by God. And we just realized that for this church in this season, we're going to need to create more pockets like this for people to encounter God for us to come face to face with the living God and have not only our lives forever changed, but that we take his anointing to bring the change that he does in us to the world around us. So be on the lookout. We're thinking about um, changing some things within how we do our services to make room for this type of move of God. But if God's moving, we want to move where he's moving. And so we sense that he's doing something now, and we want to make sure that we make space and make room for him to do something that only he can do in our lives. Can I get an Amen. So let's believe God and keep on praying that the miracles, even though this series is going to come to a close, that it doesn't stop when the series stops, that it still flows through our lives. So John chapter 11 is where we're going to be. And this is arguably uh, the final sign that is written in the book of John that reveals who Jesus is. And all throughout this series, we've been sharing that the signs that Jesus did in the book of John were meant to point and reveal who Jesus is is to us that he's the son of God. And so this last uh, sign is really revealing that Jesus has the power to raise someone back from the dead. And it's a story about a man named Lazarus. We're going to read the entire chapter. So if you didn't read your Bible today, don't worry. We're reading it together, okay? So follow with me as I read up on screen. It, it says this, verse 1, now a man named Lazarus. Lazarus means God is my help. That's a good name. We need God's help in our lives, and his name is God is my help. He was sick, and he was from a town called Bethany, a village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. 
That's important. We'll come back to that. Verse 3, the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. I love this prayer because it's not appealing to God based on our love for him. But it's appealing to God on his love for us. And if God says he really loves us, we're going to appeal to him on his love for us in our lives. Verse 4 says this, when he heard this, Jesus said a powerful statement, this sickness will not end in death. And that's important to know because Lazarus dies. So Jesus said it's not going to end in death, but death is experienced in the situation. So here's what he says, know it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you with rocks, not the other one, okay? And yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they will see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that I'm walking in divine protection because I'm walking in divine purpose. And so when we're walking in the things that God has for us, we know that there's a divine covering over our life because we're walking in obedience. Verse 11, he says this. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Verse 12, his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. I love that the disciples even got confused when Jesus said some stuff. That encourages me because sometimes I don't always hear Jesus correctly. You know what I'm saying? I don't always get it right. And so if the disciples who spent three years with him were still confused, we're in good company. Okay? We're in good company. So don't put so much pressure on yourself to always get it perfect. Verse 14. This is what I love. Jesus knows that they're confused. So this is what he does. He told them plainly, Lazarus is dead and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go, also go that we may die with him. And, you know, um, sometimes we still don't get it right. And we think that Jesus wants us to do that. But that's not the point here. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Jewish culture had this belief that if a body was dead for about three days, that there's a potential for the spirit to re-enter into the body. So Jesus waited for the fourth day to make sure that Lazarus was dead, dead. Okay, that needs to be in our mind because he really wanted to show and prove that he has the power to raise someone back to life. Now verse 18, now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. That's why we need community. For moments like this, when you're not going and going through a difficult time, you need other people to bring comfort. That's why we build this church on small groups. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, that's a powerful statement, even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again. 
in the resurrection at the last day, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The seventh statement that Jesus reveals to uh, the disciples about who he is. It's his I am statement. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me uh, will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is come into is to come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews had been there, who had been there uh, with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The same thing that her other sister said, she said it as well. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. One of the shortest verses in the entire Bible. John 11:35. If you need a memory verse to say that you know the Bible. Two words. Jesus wept is your memory verse. Short and simple, but yet deep and profound. We're going to unpack that later. Verse 36. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? That's a great question. Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. For he had been there four days. In the King James Version it says, he stinketh. That's how bad it's, okay. I love the King James. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone, then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And I'm so thankful that he said, Lazarus, come out. Because if he just said, come out, we would have Thriller 2.0. It's just a thriller. All the dead bodies would have came out at that moment. Because that's how powerful our God is. When he says something, things happen at the spoken word of Jesus. Then the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and the cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. That is John chapter 11 and that's the word of God. Come on, somebody. And I want to speak to us and encourage our hearts from the premise, this will not end in death. That's the title of my message today. This will not end in death. If you're ready for God to speak to your heart, say, yeah. yeah. Let's believe God to bring a word in our hearts that would change us from the inside out. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much. You're speaking. Even as we read your word, it wasn't just words on a page, God. It was life being deposited into our spirits. And Lord, we posture ourselves, God, because we know that only you can change us. So we're desperate for you, God. We say, have your way. Let it be your words, not mine, and let it be a now word, God, that would change how we see you, change how we believe in you, 
and change how we live for you. So we posture ourselves to hear from you. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that is soft and open for everything that you want to do to us and in us tonight. We thank you that we're going to leave different. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. This will not end in death. Anyone familiar with the book, The Five Love Languages? It's by Gary Chapman. It's a pretty popular book. And the whole premise of this book is that you and I give and receive love differently. There's five main ways that we give and receive love. Uh, words of affirmation, uh, acts of service, uh, quality time, gifts, and physical touch are the five ways in which all of us give and receive love. And for, for me, uh, my top three I guess a love language would be uh, physical touch, acts of service, and touch me again. Come on, somebody. <laughs> That's my top three. And I, I married my wife, and her main love language is uh, quality time. So you can instantly see that uh, in our George household, there's a difference between how we give and how we receive love. So early on in our marriage, like on a Saturday, I would wake up early, and I would Go walk the dog, wash the dog, wash the car. Not just car, but cars, both of our cars. Come into the house, clean the house, throw a load in the washer. And do all of this all before my wife even wakes up. Now my wife will make up, wake up on a Saturday morning and come out with a little bit of an attitude. And I would kind of get thrown off because she would say, where were you? I was like, I've been out there loving you, <laughs> serving you. Cleaning the house, and I'm thinking, I'm killing it right now. So this attitude is a little, you know, standoffish. And so I've been doing all of these things. She's like, why don't you just stay in and cuddle? Like, cuddle? I got stuff to do. I'm out here serving you. You think cuddling is what we need in this moment? But really, what does that mean? That I was giving what I thought is love, but she wasn't receiving it as love. Why? Because I wasn't speaking her language. And oftentimes in life, we get frustrated because we're doing what we think we would want from other people, but that's not necessarily the way in which they give or receive love. Do you know that God has a love language? God has a love language. And you know what God's love language is? He loves it when we trust him. That's his love language. When we start trusting him, oh boy, God gets all stirred up. Now, we don't do things to get God to love us more, but he gets passionate about us when we choose to trust him. And so God, in his efforts to get us to trust him, will oftentimes lead us into circumstances and situations that would put us in a posture for us to trust him. Not trust in you, not trust in what you can do or your skills and ability, he wants us to trust in him. And oftentimes for us to trust him, we need to be in situations and circumstances that are way beyond our ability to control. Because then and only then are you at a right place and a posture to say, I need you, God. It's the language of love. Trust. So trust in God should lead to our obedience for God. Trust is the motivation. Obedience is the outcome. So what God wants us to live is a lifestyle of both trusting him with our hearts, but allowing that trust to move us into action where we obey the things that he's placed in our lives to do. So this story that we just read is really a story of trust. Because it's talking 
about a family, Mary, Lazarus, and Martha, who had relationship with Jesus. It wasn't that they didn't know Jesus. They had a relationship with him. So the purpose of this story is to show that even when you have relationship with God, he still wants to grow our trust. So four things that we're going to see from this story that would help us to understand how we can trust God is the essence of this message tonight. First point in your notes is this. Jesus' love is seen in what he does and what he doesn't do. Both and. Jesus' love is seen when he does stuff for us, but is also seen when he doesn't do things for us. Verse 5 and 7 in the passage that we read says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So it wasn't a matter of love now. And here's the key word in this passage. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there where he was two more days and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. The key word is so. This passage will make sense if it said but. Meaning this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. But when he heard, he needed to do some stuff. So he took a while to get there. It's a contradiction. Meaning this. It wasn't his love. He just had other things to do. But it doesn't say but. But is a contradiction. It says so. So so is a continuation of the thought that was just spoken. So what is he saying there? It was because of his love that he stayed there two extra days. Doesn't make sense. Why doesn't that make sense? Because we receive love as moving here and now, especially in moments where we need Jesus. This would be like this. If my wife called me and our nine-month-year-old son needed to go to the hospital and she calls me and says, Judah needs to go to the hospital and I'm at work. And I say, okay, and then I go and finish out the rest of my work day, and I get to her at the hospital later, she would immediately think that I'm being unloving. Why did you stay at work the rest of the day? I told you that our son is in need. That means that I should have dropped everything, right? Book it to the hospital because love in that moment is speed and it's also proximity. That's how we view love, not Jesus in this situation. The reason why Jesus didn't show up is because he had something else in mind that he wanted to do. It was because of his love that he stayed. Too often we feel like Jesus doesn't love us if he doesn't show up in our life in our time in our way. Now if everything is going well and he's showing up and doing things in our lives, we feel really, really loved. But the same Jesus that does stuff for us in love still loves us when he doesn't do things the way that we want it. It's not a matter of love. It's a matter of something bigger is happening here that he's allowing the situation to be a certain way because he has something else in mind. So don't be guilty of falling into the trap of thinking just because he hasn't shown up on my time that he loves you less. He might be up to something bigger in the process, which means... We would have to trust. But oftentimes we've been in situations where like, God, where, where are you? Why didn't you show up? You know that the rent's due at the end of the month. You know that I need to have this by a certain time. You know that I need you to provide in a certain area. I, you know that our marriage is on the rocks right now, God. Like, where are you? 
and we're waiting for God to show up. And oftentimes, just because it, he doesn't show up on our time doesn't mean that he's not up to something in our lives. We have to realize that God's delays are not necessarily his denials. Just because he hasn't doesn't mean that he won't. It's always about his perfect timing. Now, we share this story about Pastor Paris and his wife, Twinkle, at Christmas this year. But it really is a powerful story of really trusting God, that he has something bigger in mind. And so they were trying to conceive for a long time. They did conceive but ended up uh, losing a baby to miscarriage and having to deal with the belief that God wants us to get pregnant but still having to wrestle with the grief and mourning of a loss and still believing for God for more. And isn't it ironic that the people who want to get pregnant have a difficult time getting pregnant and the people who don't want kids, they'd be popping out kids left and right? Isn't that the divine mystery of life? Like why, God? Why does this happen? And so they were at a moment where just frustrated, like, God, why aren't you showing up? You know we want to get pregnant. We know that this is what we feel like you want us to do. Why aren't you doing things in the way that we want? And after they were waiting and trusting God, God put a seed into their heart to begin to apply uh, for adoption. That there will be a home that would really adopt kids and host kids and help people to uh, experience being in a family even though they're coming from brokenness. And so they did that. They moved into applying for uh, the, the logistics to uh, really be a place uh, for fostering kids. And about 17 kids in a matter of uh, a few years came in and out of their house. Kids that came from broken families, not experiencing family, got to experience family in their house. Today, today they have about four girls in their house, and they're planning on adopting uh, two of them, I believe, or the whole family. But in the midst of them believing God for their own miracle, God wanted them to be a miracle to other people. And that's the power for us that we need to understand that while you're waiting for your miracle, maybe God is waiting on you to be a miracle for someone else. And that's what they did. They became a miracle. And long story short, God entrusted them with their own miracle. They're expecting. And uh, Twinkle is about to give birth. And here's the crazy thing. She is 40 years old. So don't tell me that you got a time clock. Man, my time is running out. With God, his timing is perfect. And just because the world says that you can't get pregnant doesn't mean that it's impossible for God. And so they're a living testimony of just trusting the process, realizing that God is up to something bigger. And they would never have applied for fostering if they weren't in a position where they needed to trust God. So God had another plan in mind. And they were, he was leading them through that plan in the midst of their frustration and confusion. So when God seems to be late, that means he has a bigger plan and purpose in mind. And God is always doing more than we think or what we see. So what do we do when we wait? I'm glad that you asked because the answer is in John chapter 11 verse 2. This doesn't make sense and I'm going to explain it to us. Verse 2 says this, this Mary whose brother Lazarus now lay sick was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. This is referencing John chapter 12. Why would you put John chapter 12 in John chapter 11? Because sometimes while you wait, you need to realize that there is a chapter 12 coming. That your story isn't over, that it might be a comma, but it's definitely not a period. There's another chapter to your story. While you wait, you better worship. Because you're going to be worshiping him in John chapter 12. 
So don't wait for John chapter 12 before you worship him. Worship him as you wait for him. Thank him in advance, God. I know you're going to work in my life. I know you're working to this situation. So I'm not going to wait for you to show up before I give you my praise. I'm going to praise you right now and I'm going to praise you as I wait and I'm going to keep praising you even after I receive the victory in my life. Why? Because you're worthy of it all. Don't let just worship be a once a week thing that you do on a Sunday night. Let it be a lifestyle that you cultivate every single day. Being desperate for more of God because we need him in our lives. So let you know the truth is this. You might be in John chapter 11, but there's another chapter to your story. God is up to something. He has the pen to your life. Let him write the story and trust him while you wait. Trust him while you wait. That is good. That is really good. I'm doing that for, you might not like it, but that's for me. We're going to worship him while you wait. Verse point two is this. Jesus meets us in our disappointment when we bring it to him. That's the key. He meets us in our disappointment, but the key is when we bring it to him. So Lazarus died, and this triggers disappointment in both Martha and Mary. They're frustrated with Jesus. Why? Because they fed Jesus. Jesus was in the refrigerator. He was hanging out at the house. They thought, we got good relationship with Jesus. He's going to, you know, when you have relationship with someone, there's residual benefits to that. You know, I don't have, I don't do construction things because I have friends for that. My friends will do the construction things for me. I don't need to get a mechanic. My friend's a mechanic. I'm going to make sure that I bring it to my friend. Because how many of us know when you have relationship with people, it comes with benefits. So they had relationships with Jesus and they're thinking, now, we're going to get some residual benefits from this relationship. But Jesus didn't show up in the way that they wanted. And they're mad. They saw Jesus heal strangers. You don't even know these people. You heal them and you know us? And you won't heal us? How many of us would be having an attitude with the Lord? Now, what are you doing? You don't even know that brother. <laughs> and you gave him his sight back. You know us. What are you up to? He has a different plan in mind, but he also realizes that their frustration with Jesus was the seed of disappointment that was placed in their heart. So Jesus, before he deals with Lazarus, needs to deal with their disappointment. Because both of them were questioning whether or not God loves them. Wondering where they're at in their relationship with Jesus. And so both Mary and Martha, even in their disappointment, they bring it to him. And that's what I love. No matter where you're frustrated with God, make sure you bring it to him. Make sure you bring it to him. And that's exactly what they do. They bring it to Jesus. And Jesus responds to their same response, uh, their same address to him. But he responds to them differently. To Martha, this is what he does. He gives truth. Write that down. He gives truth. Martha is a thinker and she needs things to make sense logically. How many of us are you like that? You need this to make logical sense. This doesn't make sense to me. Lord, help me to make this make sense. And so Jesus begins to minister to her head. Here's what he says. Your brother will rise again. So Martha is thinking the final resurrection. But Jesus reveals an aspect of who he is to Martha in this situation. And here's what he says. He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So he's basically telling Martha, 
a revelation of who he is. I am the resurrection and the life. Resurrection isn't something that happens at the last day. Resurrection is standing right in front of you. That's me. I have the power to resurrect. It's not an event that happens. It's a person, and I am that person. I am the resurrection and the life. And many of us are going through situations right now, and the question that you're asking God and the truth that you want from God is, why? Isn't that the question that we always ask with God when you're in a situation? Why? And the thing I love about this story is Jesus doesn't answer Martha's why. Instead, he reveals an aspect of who he is. He doesn't answer her why, but he gives her a fresh revelation of who he is. So many of us were asking, why was I abused? Why is my family broken? Why did my marriage fall apart? Why did my relationship fall apart? We're asking God why. And the reality is Jesus will rarely, rarely answer your why, but he will always reveal an aspect of who he is to us. So he wants us to shift from why to who are you, God, in the midst of this situation? Help me to see your glory. We know that God is love, and love has different aspects and components to it. So God, reveal an aspect of your character and your nature to me that I will never experience outside of this situation. So some of us are in situations right now, we're asking God why, and he's trying to reveal who he is to you. So for those of us who are experiencing brokenness, the who that God wants to reveal, he wants to reveal himself to you as a healer. That you wouldn't experience the healing if you weren't in a situation where you needed him to show up as a healer. For those of us who maybe made mistakes and feel like you can never, ever get your life back, Jesus wants to reveal to you that he's a God who restores. That he can restore your life. That your mistakes are not final. That in God's hands, he can give you not only a second chance, a third chance. He can help you get your life back right. The key is when we give it to him. Those of us battling anxiety and depression, having your mind go crazy, God wants to reveal that he is your peace. You wouldn't experience peace if you weren't in the situation. So we need to posture ourselves to be like, God, reveal who you are to me. Change my why so that I can see who you are. He might not answer your why, but he will always answer and reveal to us who he is. For every why we have, there's a who in God's nature that he wants to reveal to us. Seek him. And when we seek him with all our hearts, we will find him. So to Martha, he gives truth. And to Mary, he gives tears. I love it because it's not a one-size-all faith. He doesn't just give everybody truth thinking that that's all we need. He knows that some people need truth. Some people need tears. Mary didn't need information. She needed empathy. She needed a Jesus who's powerful but yet close in proximity, relating to her, empathizing with her in her situation. And so that's exactly what he does. Every time Mary is mentioned in the Bible, the three times that she's mentioned, you know where we find her? At the feet of Jesus. I think that's a great place for us to, to learn that when we find ourselves in difficult situations, make sure that we're putting ourselves at the feet of Jesus because that's a great place for him to minister to our hearts. So Jesus knows that Mary doesn't need answers. She needs empathy, and that's exactly what he gives her. Verse 34 and 35, where have you laid him, he asked. And come and see, she said. 
on the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. We don't have a distant God. We have a near God. He's all-powerful. And the thing that is crazy about this part is that he knows that he's going to bring Lazarus back to life like five minutes from now. So he knows he's going to do that. Why is he crying in this moment when he already has in mind that he's going to raise him back to life? Because that was the future. What Mary needed was tears now. So God has in mind some of the things that he wants to resurrect in our lives. But if you're crying right now, he's right there with you. He's crying with you. And we're living in a culture right now where a lot of men, they don't have the courage to cry. Some of us, even women, that what you were taught growing up, that you just got to suck it up, stuff it down, and carry on. And what happens when we do that is that although we feel like we've healed, there's a seed of disappointment there. And any time that you have a seed of something there, it doesn't just stay there. It grows And over time, that disappointment will begin to affect your faith. And so Jesus knows that if we don't process things in a moment, undealt with stuff will eventually come to haunt us down the road. And that's why with Mary, he wants to reveal that he is with her. He's grieving alongside her. So no matter what your disappointment is, my encouragement to you is keep on bringing it to Jesus. Too often we get disappointed with God and we run away from God. But let that be a motivation to you to keep on bringing your disappointment to him. Because verse, uh, third point in our notes is this. When we don't allow Jesus into our hurt, it will hinder our faith. It will hinder our faith. Lazarus wasn't the only thing buried in that tomb. Mary and Martha's faith was also buried there. Because when Lazarus got put in that tomb... A part of their faith and trust in God was also buried there. So Jesus needed to resurrect that. He knew that in order for him to do the miracle, he needed their faith to be resurrected because that faith will be the key component to the miracle that he was about to do. And for us, when disappointment isn't dealt with properly, it's like a nail in our tire. It's only a matter of time before we get flat. And some of us, you know, you just got the nail in there and you're thinking, I'm fine, I'm fine. And you're trying to convince yourself you're fine. If you're trying to convince yourself you're fine, you're not fine. You know how we do that sometimes? Nah, I'm good, man, I'm good. Nah, that don't phase me. That don't phase me. You're trying, you're trying. Sometimes the strongest thing that we can do is be weak. Why? Because it puts us in a posture where we need to rely on his strength. Man, I'm not strong enough for life. And Jesus is often waiting for us to be like, when are you going to give this to me? You're trying to carry something that's too heavy for you. When are you going to realize that I can carry it for you? But he's not going to force you to give it to him. He's always going to be waiting. Are you done yet? Are you ready to give it to me? Because when we do, man, he's more than willing to carry the load of our lives. But when we have disappointment, here's what it does. It does two things. It causes us to lose faith. So many people have left the church because of disappointment with God or disappointment with God's people. We've made people to become the Jesus for us. And when they don't show up in the way that we want, we're like, man, forget this. I'm out of here. Man, peace out to God and peace out to the people of God. And so we allow disappointment to cause us to run away from God. But the scarier thing is this. Some of us, we're still around and we have faith, 
but we are, our faith is injured or it's stuck. Because when you come to Jesus and you really have faith in him at first, maybe you give your heart to him, you really believe that the Bible is true and you start to believe, man, if I pray for stuff, people are going to get healed. You think, I'm going to pray for everybody. And then you start to realize that not everybody you pray for gets healed. Then you start to make some mathematical formulas. Okay, well, I've tried. I've prayed for people. You said to pray. Not everyone's getting healed. Not everyone's getting touched. And we start to think, ah, maybe, maybe it's not all the time that I need to pray. Maybe it's only sometimes. And so what we start to do is we start to compartmentalize God into our safe box because believing him for more is vulnerable. And we don't like being disappointed. So you know what? Instead of raising our faith to the size of God, we shrink him to what we are comfortable with. I believed you for more, God. And you didn't show up. So do you really do miracles? Then you start to hear about other people getting miracles. And you're like, whatever. I prayed. Nothing happened. And we start to allow the accumulation of disappointment to injure our faith where we start to just settle. Not doing anything bad. Just being content with where you're at. Knowing that God can bring wholeness and healing to your life, but I'm just going to manage this addiction on my own. Because maybe God doesn't want to give me freedom. Maybe it's just something that I'm going to have to deal with for the rest of my life. I know you want to set me free from anger, but, you know, you haven't. So I guess there's stuff that other people got to deal with. We start to rationalize God and shrink him down to what's comfortable for us. That's a true sign. If you're allowing that to happen in your life, that somewhere in your life, your faith is injured. And before Jesus could resurrect Lazarus, he needs to resurrect that dead area in your life. Because if not dealt with, it will always hinder your belief in God. And we started off this message by saying that Jesus, his love language is trust. So he has to restore our trust in him. And oftentimes he's waiting for us to bring him our disappointment. Be honest with him about your disappointment. The whole book of Psalms is David's disappointment with God and still yet choosing to believe. So for us, we need to have the courage to tell God what we really think, not what he wants us to think. Be honest with him. He's not intimidated with your situation. He's just waiting for us to be honest with him. And so Jesus wants to... Restore their faith, and here's what he does. He goes to the source of the disappointment. So here's what he asks. Where did you put him? Now, Jesus knew exactly where Lazarus was in the tomb, but he asked them where he was. Why? Because Jesus won't ever intrude into our life. He always waits to be invited in. So he's saying, where is this disappointment? Let me in there. I know where it is, but I'm waiting for you to open the door of your heart to let me in. He's a gentleman. He's waiting for us to open the door. And when we open the door, he begins to do what only he can do, bring healing to our hearts. So verse 38 to 39, he says this, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. It's interesting that they put the stone over the tomb. Because that's what we do when we have our disappointments. We cover it up with performance. 
We cover it up by, th- by telling people we're good. We cover it up by just trying to be strong and just carry it on. All of us cover up our disappointment in different ways. So Jesus is saying, move the stone. I love it. He tells them to move the stone. Now, could Jesus have moved the stone? Yes. But he wants them to participate in the miracle as well. So he's saying, you move the stone. Jesus makes us do what only we can do so that he does what only he can do in our situations. You move the stone, I'll bring the healing. You step out in faith, I will show up and provide. So he's waiting for us to make a move. And when we make a move, he does what only he can do in our lives. So he's like, no, Jesus, this stinks. Man, the smell of the disappointment in our life does not intimidate Jesus. My son is at an age where, man, his poop stinks. And, man, when he has a blowout, man, I'm going in there like, oh, this is rough. And I'm like, I love my son, but, man, you're, this is bad. And so, you know, you just try to hold your breath as long as possible. God is not like me. He's not think, saying like, oh, man, this is really bad, but we're going to do something about it. He's not going to make you feel ashamed for what you are disappointed in. He cares for us in a way that doesn't make us feel less than. He knows it's bad. He waits for us to invite him in. And he knows that it stinks, but he also knows that until you let him in, you won't experience the healing that he offers. So he's not intimidated with the smell of the disappointment or the frustration in your heart. Just let him in. And when we let him in, allow him to heal the depths of your despair. You know, early on in our relationship before me and my wife got married, uh, it was really difficult. Her and I come from pretty difficult backgrounds. There's a dysfunction in both of our lives, come from our family of origins. And it got to the point where we were just pushing pushing each other's buttons. And to the point where I needed to stop blaming her for my situation and I needed to take care of what God was trying to do in my life. And so I signed up to get um, some Christian counseling. And this was years ago. And uh, what they do is they basically take you to face the dark moments in your past that you don't think affects you, but they bring it back to your life. And what the uh, counselor told me is this, we can't change your past, all we can do is change how you see your past. And that's what God wants to do in our hearts. He knows that he can't change what was done, but the thing that he wants to change is how we see what was done to us in our hurts and in our disappointments. And in one, this one tic- particular moment, he was doing an inner healing with me, and he brought back to memory a difficult moment where I really felt like was a, how would I say, a moment that really got me down a negative pathway as far as trying to cope with dysfunction. And it was a moment when I was about six or seven years old, and he called me to really retell that story. And so I did in that moment, <clears throat> and kind of was telling the details of what I remember. And here's what he did. He said, now imagine Jesus in that moment with you. Now remember, mind you, this moment happened years ago when I was six and seven. But when we're recalling this moment and this memory, it felt like it was happening right here, right now. So in that moment, I'm just envisioning Jesus in that moment with him, but with me. And he's asking me questions. What is Jesus doing? Uh, He's sitting right next to me. I feel like my head is buried into his chest. His arm is around me. And I'm telling him what I feel like Jesus was doing to me in that moment. And then he asked me this question, is Jesus saying anything to you? And so for a moment I just think and I just felt in my heart that Jesus was saying, it's not your fault. Now, this happened years ago, 
But the healing that Jesus did in that moment for me was letting me know that even though I felt all alone in that moment of brokenness, that he was right there. I just was unaware of his presence. And that mindset of him saying that it was not my fault communicated to me for years that I felt like because I was at fault for what happened, that I started to feel guilty for certain things, and that guilt started me to go down a downward cycle of trying to perform and do all these things to get love and acceptance. And him telling me that it's not my fault really set my heart free. That's the word of the night for somebody, that it's not your fault. You're taking blame on something that was never meant for you to carry. It's not your fault. Don't allow the enemy to blame you for something that was never your fault. And when we let God into these areas of our lives, man, he wants to reveal to us really who he is and that he's always been there. Even our darkest moments, man, there has never been a moment in our life where his presence hasn't been there. Did we always see it? No. But what he wanted to reveal to me and to all of us is to change our perspective on what happens. He wants to change how we see our disappointment. He wants to resurrect our faith so that we can keep on trusting him and believing him for more. So my faith now is that, man, I'm going to be the first to just really believe God for a generational blessings of whole households. Man, we both come from brokenness. We're going to believe God for wholeness from us moving forward. And that's what we need to believe God for because if we don't think that wholeness is possible, we're going to continually perpetuate generational brokenness. So it has to stop with us. We're going to have to come to a point where we believe God. No longer is the enemy going to ruin my life and the life of the people after me. I'm going to take a stand and I'm going to allow you to do what only you can do in my life. It starts with me. It starts with me and it starts with you. Allow God into your heart and he's going to resurrect and bring resurrection to your life. Last point in our notes as the worship team comes up is this. Only Jesus has the power to resurrect dead things back to life. Verse 43 and 44. Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. The thing I love about this, it really reveals to us the gospel. Many of us think that coming to Jesus is Jesus taking bad people and making them good. That's not the gospel. The gospel is this, Jesus taking dead people and resurrecting them back to life. You and I before Jesus, man, we were just the walking dead, trying to figure out life on our own, finding ourselves in a sinful, perpetual cycle of brokenness and hurt. And until we come to Jesus, man, he resurrects us back to life. Now we experience new life. And we, what God wants to do in our hearts is to give us a life more abundantly, an abundant life. So for us, we need to realize that the resurrection that Jesus did in Lazarus is the same resurrection that he wants to do spiritually in our hearts. He wants to resurrect us back to life. Because the crazy thing about this Lazarus story is this. Even though Lazarus came back to life, he eventually had to die again. He died again. <clears throat> and the reality for death for all of us is this. We're all going to die one day. And Jesus loves us so much that when he looks at death, man, death gets him angry. Because death was never his plan. He's always had a plan for us to live with him eternally. But sin came into the picture and now he needed to deal with death. And how he dealt with death was on the cross. He took death upon himself. He took the sins of the world upon himself. And he died with it. But he didn't stay dead. 
three days later, he rose again, meaning that the biggest thing that the enemy could offer, which was death, even Jesus had the power to conquer that. So if Jesus faced the enemy's biggest tactic, his, his strongest weapon in his army, arsenal, was death, Jesus is like, is that all you got? Because I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will not die. Meaning this, this, our last breath on the earth when we have faith with God will be our first breath in heaven with Jesus forever. That's the hope that we have. That this life is temporary, but eternity is forever. And this quote that I want to end with that really encouraged me, I want to give it to you because it gives us perspective on really what God wants to do in our hearts. It says this, if we choose to trust in Jesus, this life is the closest thing to hell that we'll experience. If we choose to reject Jesus, this life is the closest thing to heaven we'll experience. We decide what we want. Meaning this, man, if life is difficult right now, but you have faith in Jesus, we look forward to a better future. This is the worst it's ever going to get. Like this is the closest thing to hell that we're going to experience because we know that there's an eternity that Jesus has for us. And that is way longer than this temporary inconvenience, temporary difficulty, temporary misfortune in our life. This is temporary, but that's eternal. But if we reject Jesus, this life is the best that we, have, we can experience. Yeah, you can go on vacation. Yeah, you can get that promotion. Yeah, you can buy that new car. Yeah, that's great. But this is the best it's going to get. And eternity separated from God in a place called hell, man, that's forever. It only gets worse. So we decide what we want to do with our lives. Jesus is giving us a better option, but he's not going to force us to decide what we want. He always gives us an opportunity to choose. And that same opportunity is for all of us. Which side do you want to go? You want to choose Jesus? Great. You want to reject Jesus? Great. We need to choose, but also we need to deal whatever with our choices are. Let's choose life. Let's choose Jesus. Let's choose eternity, not just for our lives, but for the people around us. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. Lord, we thank you that you're moving, God. We thank you that you're stirring. Resurrection power is in the room, God. I sense it. Lord, you're doing something. And we just say, have your way. We posture our heart for what you're doing in us, God. Something is happening in our spirits as we speak. I sense it, Lord. And we just want to allow you to do what you do best. Do the change in our hearts that would bring a change in our lives. We keep on trusting you. We want to live the language of love. That's trust. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. And a practical response as you came in, you were given a communion element. We're going to end service tonight with communion. Really, communion is a symbolic of who Jesus is and what he did for us. If you didn't get one, just raise your hand. We'll have some ushers make sure that you get that tonight. And keep them up until they come and give it to you. Communion is two elements. The bread, symbolic of the body of Christ that was beaten. Sin needed a, had a punishment and a penalty for it. Jesus took that punishment upon himself. There was an exchange that happened. The cup is symbolic of the blood that was shed. There's no forgiveness of sin, the Bible says, without the shedding of blood. So Jesus became the perfect sacrificial lamb 
that paid the penalty for what our sins deserve. And both of these elements reveal who Jesus is and what he wants to be for us. So before we partake, I want to invite all of us just to close your eyes right here and right now. We want to focus our hearts back to him. He's obviously stirring. And so, Lord, we pray that there would just be a realignment in our spirit back to you. Forgive us for straying. Forgive us for getting off path. Forgive us for taking our eyes off of you. But tonight, Lord, we posture ourselves and we say, align us back to you. Help us to move in tune with your spirit. So, Lord, we pray that tonight this communion will be more than just a sacrament. Let it be a spiritual transformation that we experience, that you do something supernatural in our hearts as we partake that would help us to trust you. In your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and peel back that first layer, revealing the bread. Join with me as we pray. God, we thank you for your body that was beaten and bruised for our sins. In that moment, we exchange, Lord, our weakness for your strength. We give you our shortcomings, our struggles, and we exchange it for your strength and your grace. We thank you that where we fall short, your strength and your love is more than able to give us what we need to keep on trusting you. So we look to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and partake. Feel back that second layer revealing the cup. Let's pray. God, we thank you that this cup covers every sin. There's no sin too big or too small that this cup doesn't cover. And so, Lord, we pray that not only you will cover our sin, but you empower us to live a victorious life through your grace and through your spirit. Can't do it on our own. We need you. So we pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit to fill every heart here tonight, even those online. We thank you for all that you're doing. In your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and partake. When you're done, you can put that done down. And I want to invite all of us to stand. <clears throat> the worship team is going to lead us into a song. It's a powerful song. It says, I speak Jesus. We're going to speak God and Jesus to do something supernatural in our hearts. We don't know what he's going to do, but I just know that he's up to something. So let's set an atmosphere of faith with worship tonight. Let's sing.